With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Backstage Gaming, dramatic takes on your favorite games. I'm Chris. And I'm Dylan. And I apologize for the hiatus last week. Uh, the week itself was busy, and then the weekend, Dylan was traveling, and we actually spent the weekend together, but we spent the weekend together because I got engaged, and Dylan Woo! and a bunch of our other friends were were invited to like a surprise party afterwards. So, uh, yeah, sorry it meant that we had to skip a week, but I think it's for a good reason, so shut up. And now through uh, pure coincidence, like actually pure coincidence, we're going to be talking about a game slash movie about marriage and th all that good stuff. Yeah, so technically, this is, I've, I've stopped putting episode numbers in the titles of these because I don't want it to feel like it is needed to be consumed in a certain order because that's not the kind of show this is. Like if there's an episode that someone wants to listen to that looks interesting on that topic, it jump in. But this is technically sequentially episode 59 stroke episode 60 because we did have one of those episodes come out as episode 19.5 and that was our live show like almost mm -hmm. a year ago now. But we're going to we're going to do sort of a two-parter inversion of our typical every 10 episodes writers room thing. Because as luck would have it, two different video game to movie adaptations have dropped in the last like week ish. Uh, one yeah. of which we have Plus both seen, and the other for... we will we will see by next week's recording session. Plus, we also got a trailer for Castlevania Season Three. What the hell is this? Yo, there's week a trailer. Gamers? Oh yeah, yeah. You didn't know? I haven't seen I the trailer. Okay, well, let's let's do a live reaction. No. Okay. <laughs> no. No, no. By all means, if you want to. No, I will. I will watch it when we're done recording. That'll be that'll be my treat waiting at the end of this this recording session. Gotcha. Um, but yeah, so so Dylan messaged me. Yesterday, the day before, uh, very excited and wanting to talk about uh, Dragon Quest Your Story. It is a quote-unquote Netflix original movie, by which I mean Netflix got the rights to this movie that aired in theaters in Japan, and so they slapped Netflix original on it, <laughs> which I don't know how I feel about that. But anyway, it is an adaptation of Dragon Quest V. Kind of. Sort of. Not really. Is it... We'll talk about it. Am I remembering incorrectly, or is it the same studio that is doing the upcoming uh, Lupin the Third? Yes, it's flick. the same studio that's so. doing the upcoming Lupin the Third movie and, and the Mewtwo Strikes Back remake that yeah. came out. I think. Oh, did it, it? it definitely came out? I just man, if, I'm not if a, it dropped, there was not much fanfare. I, I'm I'm not as big of a Pokemon fan as I used to be. I'm pretty sure I would have noticed because I saw people talking about it. Yeah, um, I. I would be lying if I said that I heard much about it since we talked about it like a year-ish ago. Yeah, yeah. It didn't make the same waves that Sonic the Hedgehog did. Yeah. Uh, but we, we have both now consumed the Dragon Quest film. 
and we're gonna kind of talk about it because it's an interesting take on a video game to movie adaptation uh for the for the next you know your your following 45 minutes ish of audio pleasure i will be playing the part of the rube who never played dragon quest 5 and dylan will be playing the part of the expert educating me <laughs> all right so i don't know like i i there i as i was writing down like the plot of dragon quest 5 i realized that the plot is incredibly front loaded but not only that like i kind of had to get into the nitty gritty of uh the the first act of dragon quest 5 if you will because they really gloss over that in the movie um which we'll get to so yeah, give us like and i understand you you mentioned that you have written down a lot of notes and a lot of synopsis but for the for the sake of us being able to also converse and not having this be a two-hour episode oh yeah hit, i figured hit me with do. like as condensed a summary of the need to know going in as you can okay so going into the movie uh what you should know is that dragon quest 5 the game originally came out on the super famicom that's super nintendo for us i want to say back in 1992 yes 1992 and it was the fifth title in the mega popular dragon quest franchise uh mega popular in japan yeah, and, didn't really didn't really crack that American nut in a big way until like eleven, really. Uh I would say eight. Uh eight was like pretty big, but then like nine was for the DS, and that wasn't as big of a market as the PS2. Yeah. Um and so like its popularity kind of surged for a second and then sizzled out before eleven like brought it back in a big way. Dragon Quest V is about the hero. Um so every Dragon Quest game kind of stars a silent protagonist hero. And they are usually either a legendary hero or the descendant of a legendary hero or, you know, the son of a legendary. Like, there's a, there's a huge idea of lineage and family in all the Dragon Quest games. Dragon Quest V is special in that uh, you play the hero when he is a kid and he is following his father around on his journey. And so as the father is doing his thing... The first act is really kind of about, like, the misadventures of his son, um, doing different things, sa saving different, uh, going on different adventures that are kind of smaller and more innocent in scale, until they don't become that. And then you, there, there's a time skip, and you become an adult, and it's very Ocarina of Time-esque. I wouldn't be surprised if Ocarina of Time actually drew inspiration from Dragon Quest V. And then you get married, and you have children, and uh, you save the world. And that is me compressing the story of Dragon Quest V as tightly as possible. So the movie actually kind of skips most of the hero's childhood. It, it kind of goes straight to the, the adult Link arc, as it were. Mm -hmm. Though I will say, there are some, some really great like scenes of this, like, I don't know how old the kid was meant to be, but pro to my eyes, like six or seven probably. Yeah, he was Your old kid, like, trudging sits. down the middle of a path, looking very excited, while his, like, badass, totally not Goku dad fights <laughs> monsters, like, just out of frame. I, I would say that Pankrat's, uh, the name of your father, he's, he's like, Mr. Satan, if, like, yeah. Mr. Satan was also a Saiyan, and not <laughs> just a jobber human. Oh, don't, don't feed my fanfiction like this. <laughs> But, uh, oh god, people who don't watch Dragon Ball are gonna be like, Sup, shut the fuck up! <laughs> Talk about Dragon Quest! That's, that's why we clicked on this episode. <laughs> um, first thing you see when you uh, start playing Dragon Quest V is 
you know, it's a depiction of the hero's birth from your father's point of view. Uh, your father is a king in a castle, and he's pacing anxiously back and forth. He comes in, sees his mother, uh, sees your mother, rather. They talk a bit, they decide on what to name the hero, that's when you input your name. And then there's this feeling, like, at the very end of the scene that something's wrong, but you are never told what that is. And then we cut to the hero waking up aboard a ship. Like Chris said, he is about six years old, and he is on a ship with his father, and as you explore the ship, you talk to various sailor NPCs who talk to the player about how Pankratz has been traveling the world in pursuit of something, though no one knows what. Um, all that's known is that he is on a quest to retrieve something. And so you, the, the ship pulls into port. You get off. Uh, before you get off, though, you run into... And I, know, I realize I'm getting like really down into the nitty-gritty. Uh, don't worry, as we kind of get the story rolling, I will uh, omit more and more details. Yeah. But before we leave the ship, we run into uh, the passengers coming on board the ship, which is Rodrigo Briscoletti and his daughter, or if you're playing the DS remake, his two daughters, uh, Nera and Deborah. And so it, it's just a very brief exchange, but it's the game's way of telling you, like, hey, these characters exist. You go to did the that, port and... Did that mm-hmm. happen in the film? Or was that covered in the in the SNES footage at the beginning? The SNES footage. Okay, okay. It was yeah, covered that's, in the SNES footage. So yeah, that's yeah. one thing that this movie does that I honestly really like is, and we'll get into more of the details of this later, but I want to, I wanna, because I can tangent into it, I want to do this now. This movie very much engages with its, like, the fact that it is a video game IP to the point that, like, the opening montage of the film is a montage of text and screen grabs and footage of the original snes game which yes it's it's just straight up like because like especially to the the game's target audience which is most of the population of japan they're like we already know you've played this game here's a kind of a refresher for you for like some of the quests that you may have forgotten um that have led up to the point where we are beginning our movie yeah and like to me an outsider who again has not played dragon quest 5 it felt I enjoyed seeing it. There was something to it that I was like, this is a really cool thing that I haven't seen a lot of other video game movies play with. But I think it did have the the downside of, like, there was some given circumstance that I what was not able to pick up on. Oh, from yeah, definitively. That and bit. that's that is a huge part of why I'm going so slow for yeah. this beginning chapter, just to, to fill you and the audience, like, up to speed on, like, every little detail that may have been glossed over. Yeah, yeah. Pankratz uh, is at the port and he's conversing with another adult about boring adult shit that you don't care about because you're fucking <laughs> six. So, you know, you're, you can kind of wait and you can talk to like the one NPC that's at other NPC that's at the port, but eventually you, the player are going to get bored. Just like the hero you're controlling, who in the movie is called Luca. Um, I think we will use those names interchangeably. You get bored, Luca gets bored and you head out into the world map to explore. Naturally, being in the world map in a, Jap- in a Japanese RPG, you get attacked by a monster. And it is then that Pankratz comes to your uh, rescue, uh, kills the slime or whatever that's harassing you. Um, and even though you probably got hit once, he just heals you obsessively because you are his special boy and he loves you. <laughs> um, and then he, he then leads you to your starting town. Like, he leads you to the starting town, so you have no control or input on where you go. It's all up to him. And then on top of that, when you get into battle, 
he's usually like he is so fast and so strong that you can't really do anything you just kind of have to watch in awe as you know you might get a hit in and it'll do one damage as meanwhile your father is swinging for like 36 points of damage and you're like whoa what dad can really hit yeah <laughs> um so you get to the first town and you meet Pankratz's loyal servant sancho as well as mrs whitaker who is wife of the innkeeper of the next town over and her daughter bianca chris uh this is this where is where bianca, bianca comes, comes up in okay <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so no, there'll be a, uh, we'll we'll call back to this when we get there in the actual like as we're talking our way through this movie but there was a point where this character says something was like huh who I don't are you, know you, Astrid from How to Cha- Train Your Dragon? <laughs> she, they, they, redes- they totally redesigned her to look more like Astrid. Yeah, it's um, wild. <laughs> she, she has like a bit of a Bulma look about her in the uh, original game. But yeah, so you meet Bianca, uh, and uh, her and her mother are here to pick up medicine for, the, uh, you know, Miss, Mr. Whitaker, who is currently ill. Um, so you spend some time with Bianca while Pankratz is uh, talking, reconnecting with uh, Mrs. Whitaker, and it's it's actually a fairly cute uh, scene. She tries and fails to read the storybook to you that actually kind of foreshadows the the group of villains that you'll fight and the final boss, but those are all big words that she can't read. Uh, so she gives up and doesn't read the whole thing. Um, eventually, you, fought, like, you, you see that your dad is going into a cave. Uh, he rides a raft down a river into a cave. And you don't have access to a raft, so you just go in the cave the only way you know how. And you can't fully explore the cave because of that. But you run into some monsters and you can actually finally start training and getting good at combat and buying better equipment for yourself. You know, what little equipment there is to buy in this backwater village. So even though you can't, like, catch up to your dad, you do find the doctor who's picking up the medicinal herbs for Mr. Whitaker. So you help him pick the herbs and... With the Whitakers having their business done in town, your father offers to escort them back to the village the next town over. So you go there, and he 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 comes by. He pays his res- pays his respects, not like he's dying, but like <laughs> you know, he talks to Mister Whitaker. They yeah. they catch up, and you explore town with Bianca. And so as you explore town, you find two boys bullying a stray uh, saber cat. Is the name of the the monster. And, you know, that's not right. Animal abuse sucks. So you, you tell them to back off and they say, okay, we'll let you, ha- we'll let you have this cat if you uh, do some ghost busting at the haunted Uptaden Towers up north. Because it's just haunted with ghosts and they're just like, yeah, well, you know what? If you're so tough, why don't you do this? Oh my um, god, that's amazing. <laughs> it's so good. It's just like they, they I'm dare you to do it. and busting makes me feel good. <laughs> Um, so, naturally, uh, that night you sneak out to Uptaden Towers, uh, there's a curse there, you lift it, um, for sake of expediency, I'm cutting out a lot of details. Yeah, no, that's, that's fair, you're hitting the, you're hitting the big bullets. Yeah, so you, you, you do the ghost busting, um, this is kind of where you really get to know Bianca, both as a character, uh, especially if you're playing the DS version, she has a bunch of flavor text in reaction to some of the things you see in the castle, but also as a character in terms of, like, the numerical point values, where she grows and she becomes a bit of a formidable wizard at her young age of eight. You, you do the ghost busting, you're, you're the talk of all the kids at town, uh, the bullies agree to let the cat go, and I don't think this is the default name for him, but in the movie, Luca decides to name the saber cat Percy. But it's Percy, like a cat, get it? Yep. Um, yep. 
Meowvelous. <laughs> Meowvelous. Nyan. Uh, it's like very misfortune from Skullgirls. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very, very Monster Hunter. I've been playing a lot of Monster Hunter World recently, and my favorite character in maybe any piece of media now is the, me- the Meowscular Chef. The Palicos are so strong. I, I actually need to play Monster Hunter. I, ca- I can't pretend like I've played them, but everything I've seen of the Palicos are chef's kiss. It's exquisite. Anyway, that's, that's neither here nor there. <laughs> right, right. Okay, yes. So you win the dare, you adopt Percy, and then you... I gotta be very careful that I say Percy and not per- make it sound lewd. Anyway, um... <laughs> You do a quest in Duck So I'm, hunt. I'm, I'm kind of Sorry. gonna like skim past this because like it's not super relevant to the plot, but I do want you to know that uh, Luca does not find the gold orb in Uptaden Towers like he does in the film. He actually has another quest in like this, you know, Narnia-esque uh, world in your basement um, where like he helps out the fairies as a child and as a reward for helping them he gets the golden orb that way oh that's so whimsical i love that dragon quest 5 is very whimsical at the start um so yeah you you help the fairies out you get the golden orb um and then that's when there's talk of a, a stranger in town who wants to see Pankrats, and all the npcs are kind of talking about him with sus- uh, suspicion why is he here what does he want uh there's rumors that he's trying to stop Pankrats's. uh <laughs> he's trying to stop He's trying to stop Pankratz's quest from continuing. Um, and so that's all very weird. But you talk to the stranger. It's kind of weird. He has, like, the same purple robes you do, but you don't think too much about it. He asks if he can see the orb that you have. And so uh, you show it to him, and he looks at it, and he gives it back. And that's all you need to worry about for the next, uh, let's say, 20 hours of gameplay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, these games... I, I just want to say... Holy cow, it is bold to try and make one single movie out of a 20-plus hour JRPG. <laughs> yeah, I, when the movie got announced, I was wondering how they were going to do it. I knew they would have to, like, cut, like, I, I actually thought they would have, like, had it start with him, at, like, as an adult, um, and then kind of, like, glen- you know, do flashbacks to kind of cover some of the earlier parts. That's not what they did, but we'll, we'll get there. So after that, uh, Pankratz uh, takes you with him to his next destination, which is the Kingdom of Coburg. Uh, apparently he's pretty chummy with the King of Coburg. And you go there, and you actually go there. Uh, in the movie, you kind of go there, but you, you're just at the gate, if I remember correctly. You watched it earlier today. Yes. It's been about a day for me, so I don't remember. Yeah, they, the, the, opening, the first shots of the movie that are not recycled snes gameplay uh is that scene you just talked about of the stranger whose face you do not see asking to see the orb and then lusa Lu- i can't remember the name luca. the hero yeah luca 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 and his father travel again with that kind of those very good shots of like dad fighting a bull man while the kid's just like wow um yeah like and perfectly they, they capturing tra- that kind of awe that like you have just like from playing the game. Yeah. Uh and they they arrive at a castle where the guard is like it's you. Okay, okay. So yeah, you you go there and that it's you moment happens and then he lets you through. Excuse me, so you can go to town. So your your father is talking with the king. 
and you are left to talk to his son, Prince Harry, who is kind of a spoiled brat. He's, like, very mean-spirited. He's a bully. He, he plays pranks on you. Uh, if he you puts talk to frogs NBC's, in the guards' suits, yeah, apparently. Apparently. Um, he, you, you can talk to uh, various NPCs around the castle, and they'll talk about how, you know, they'll talk about how much of a brat he is, but, like, there's also a couple who will talk about how the reason for this is actually because at a very young age, his mother died. And his father remarried, and so he doesn't really know how to feel about that, so he's acting out. You know, you spend more time with him, he pulls a prank on you, and what actually ends up happening is that during this prank, in which he's basically playing hide-and-seek for, for you, he sends you to get, like, a stupid MacGuffin, and then he starts hiding from you, because haha, he can't find me. <laughs> um, and he gets kidnapped by slave traders who, this is omitted in the movie, but they were actually hired by his stepmother because she wanted his half-brother, uh, half Wilbur, to be king. The, the slave traders kidnap Prince Harry, and you witnessing this, you go to tell your dad this. And so he tells you to stay in the castle and he, as he goes to rescue Prince Harry. Of course, this being an RPG and you being a kid who's already been on multiple adventures, you don't think, like, this is such a big deal anymore. You've, you've done, you like, you maybe... follow daddy. You follow daddy, of course. So, I don't remember exactly the order of events, but I know for a fact, or I'm pretty sure you, you explore a majority of the dungeon first before uh, Pankratz joins you. So I think you actually rescue Prince Harry first, and then on your way back, Pankratz joins you. And then as you make your way back to the entrance, you are interrupted by the villains of the game, which is the Order of Zugzwang, which is a funny word, but I also learned that it's a chess term. And really? they are here. Hmm? Oh yeah, okay. I I hadn't heard the term, but I've I've I went through a period in high school where I was like, I'm gonna get good at chess, and I got okay mm. at chess, and then stopped. Um, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, it's like it is a situation in which like you put your opponent in a in a position where they have to make a decision, or like, or mm. more accurately, the fact that they have to do anything is bad for them. Yeah. Like the only the only winning move available the most winning option available would be to do nothing, but you can't do that in chess. So they have to do something and it will be bad for them. Right. Yeah. So the Order of Zugswang, who I guess like they they also own the slave traders, that's how they increase the size of their cult. They they're the they're the villains of the movie and the game. Uh I'll just kind of skip ahead to and explain they're led by who a they scary are and dude what they want. with a lazy eye and a butt and a, and a ball sack chin. It's yeah, oh man, they really went all out on his uh model in yeah, the no, movie. And now that we're into like we're well into the plot of the film now. Yes. Like it's still kind of pre the main meat of it, but like this is I guess one of the issues I have with this movie cuz like I had yeah. a lot of fun with it, but it is especially for someone like me who is more of an outsider to the Dragon Quest franchise, it's not great, and a big part of that is, like, any one of these moments that we have we are describing could have been the basis for, like, a full character arc. I completely agree. But because of how big Dragon Quest games in general, and Dragon Quest V in particular, is, like, like I said earlier, it's a 20-plus, maybe even 30-hour game, depending on your own, like, playtime and how completionist you want to be yeah and so there's all of these things that in the game would be given like probably two or three hours of yeah. screen time and some like, of that would be grinding and doing the turn-based fights but a lot of it would be like cutscenes and narrative and 
character interaction and they boil it down to like the whole sequence of them being enslaved lasts five minutes seven minutes something like that yeah so i'm actually i was gonna talk about that um once i got to the point where Pankrats dies you're sold into slavery um yeah. that's the end of part one and that's really kind of the beginning of the film um yeah. so now that now that we've got that covered i guess what i wanted to talk about and why i went over the plot of the the first portion of the game the first such 10 hours of the game maybe yeah in in such excruciating detail is because i i kind of wanted to really explain like you know dragon quest is a largely the way the games are structured is largely episodic it's like adventure after adventure after adventure yeah. Which um, works really well for for a game, <laughs> big sprawling RPGs. One of my favorite, one of my favorite Western RPGs of the last several years has been The Witcher Three, mm-hmm. and what makes that game work so well is that while there is an overarching plot, so much of your attention is broken up into these like small kind of episodic vignettes, and that helps the game have a very nice kind of like engagement flow to it. Yeah, and it sounds like Dragon Quest Five is much the same way. Yes. In entirely so like you 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 talked about how like there was like some fairy tale whimsy and that's that's really the best way to explain or to describe dragon quest particularly dragon quest 5 the it's always kind of this anticipation of oh god what's going to come next what's going to come next and as you are constantly looking forward to the next episode there's kind of these forces in the background that kind of snowball like the order of zugzwang is first mentioned in by one of the ghosts in the castle, uh, the updated towers that you are exploring. You're ghost busting in. Yeah, when you're ghost busting. And so, you know, like, that's like a tiny little breadcrumb that you don't think about that much, but it, it kind of snowballs. And like, there are all these little things that are setting up the stage for something that will have a payoff near the end of the game. Um, the, the Traveler, the Orb the uh you know order of zugswing like i was talking about the the cave the very first cave you travel in uh that pankratz goes into when we when we start talking about the plot of the movie i'm going to get into that yeah there um, there were several moments while i was watching this film that like i had the thought like man i wish this was like a six part mini series yeah cuz it would have let them give a little bit more weight and it it feels like a very rushed film just it does. because they're trying to cram so much into an hour and 45 minutes of runtime. Exactly. And I feel like I'll, I'll talk about this more once we get to like the end of the episode. Um, but I'm, I'm going to kind of tackle how it doesn't exactly resolve it, but how it engages with that idea. Like it, it knows that it's not a proper movie adaptation. Yeah. And that's why I kind of at the start of the episode, I said it was kind of an adaptation. Yeah. Because it it really is it's kind of like a a best of or like dragon quest 5's greatest hits where like it it's playing like you see the most uh iconic characters some of the most iconic moments are given animation like i guess to roll into the plot of the movie like after they're sold into slavery the very next thing that happens is that they are in barrels rolling down a waterfall and that is animated in the movie with great detail even if it's glossed over super quickly yeah um and yeah, I think we, we, we talked about the structure of Dragon Quest V, and I also kind of, again, wanted to highlight the, the idea that like these characters as your traveling companions and how you become endeared to them through, you know, how they work mechanically. You have Awe for Pankrats because he hits things really hard. 
you gain a fondness for Bianca because she has a skill set that is totally alien from yours, and it's fun to see how you and her develop differently. And that's that's really kind of how storytelling and especially early Dragon Quest works. It's it's very uh, mechanics driven. It's very yeah. numbers driven. And because that's that's really what they have. They have that, and they have text. Like they they especially these early games, they didn't have the power to give like performance to make you care about the characters they could write them in a certain way but like you've got you know what was the snes working with like probably a 20 by 30 pixel sprite if that i big. i wouldn't i wouldn't know <laughs> it's i don't know exactly what the sprites like that the character models in the overworld were working with but they're not big they're very simple visually and they didn't have any voiceover they didn't have any of the things that are typically used nowadays in games to like give performance and to like make you care about the characters so they had to do it through mechanics yeah all right so now that we've now that we've laid the groundwork we've got some initial thoughts out and we know what we need to know going in and what i did not know <laughs> going in <laughs> uh we're gonna head to the playbill and when we come back we're gonna do a little bit of talking about Less about like beat by beat recaps of the movie it's of the movie as a whole because like maybe you want to see it and we don't need to we don't need to steal every inch of magic but uh, we're gonna talk about kind of our thoughts on it and what we liked and what we didn't like and Dylan's gonna talk a little bit about things that differ because I'm really curious about that because again I'm I'm the fool here <laughs> so <laughs> play build. Here we are in the playbill, you, me, the audience, and no sponsors because we don't have those yet. But someday, maybe. D- dude, you go. remember Macross? Here, this is where I'll put sponsorships. <laughs> if I had one, uh, tell me about tell me about Macross. What's what's Macross, and why do you remember it? Oh, but what isn't Macross? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anything could be Macross. This cup of water I'm sipping on, maybe that's Macross. Uh, that's some dank culture right there. And that's what Macross is about. Macross is about culture. Macross, uh, Macross is, is an dank old... culture. <laughs> Gonna have to send that one to Coop. Anyway, Macross is about a... Uh, it's a it's a science fiction anime that started in the 80s and has had spe- sequels and spinoffs basically to this day, or at least like a couple years ago. In terms of subject matter, it's kind of different from your Gundams or your Gurren Lagans in that it's it's more about like... It, it's like it's about war like Gundam, but it's it's kind of more from like a civilian point of view. Um, it, it kind of shows the interaction between the military and civilian life and pop culture and how all those things intermingle. And it's a show that like I've only gained appreciation for as um, our friend Coop has taken me through the series. So if that sounds interesting to you, if you like anime, if you like science fiction, you should check it out. Uh, you can find us on anchor.fm slash remember. We are also on Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. You should also go show some love to our friends over at The Unexplored Places. It's a podcast, uh, an actual play show using the scum and villainy game system, uh, telling the story of a bunch of middlingly competent space <laughs> criminals. Uh, it's a great yeah. time. It's been a blast to record. I'm in it as one of the main characters. Dylan is going to be sort of the recurring guest character. Uh, last week, the second episode featuring the of the arc that he uh, joined us first for came out. So there will be a next one coming next week. It's a lot of fun. 
And if any of that sounds good, if you like fun stories told by fun people and sci-fi and misadventures, you can find them by going to unexploredcast.libsyn.com or on Twitter at unexploredcast. Really quick, I want to shout out two shows that I'm in that are sort of in release right now that I'm very excited about. One is called Superstition. I'm in the second season of Superstition in the episodes coming up pretty shortly here, uh, and you can find them on Twitter at PodSuperstition. And a show called The God's Head Incidental, in which I play an absolutely, just a, just a mess of a person. And you can find <laughs> that on Twitter at God's Head Pod. And both are real fun and full of a lot of really impressive performances and super well written, and you should listen to them. Thank you to our patrons. As always, our Patreon is patreon.com slash bsgpod, and it is thanks to, thanks to that that we are able to do this thing and not be losing money on it, and it's incredible. Uh, special shout-out to our friend Eric. You were a patron before, but that had to lapse for reasons that I don't need to know because things happen and money is a problem for everybody. But you came back, and that means the world to us. So thank you, Eric, shouting you out because you are a real one. If you like our show and you want to help us do it more and do it better and keep doing it, patreon.com slash bsgpod is a place to do that. Thank you also to the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network. It is a network of podcasts talking about video games from a bunch of different angles. All of them are super interesting. I like a lot of the other shows on the network. I've listened to a bunch of them, not as many as I need to because it's a lot of shows and they have a lot of episodes. But if you like video games and like thinking about them and hearing different perspectives on them, Follow HPVG Pod Network on Twitter to be constantly updated about things like that. Who? That's the playbill. Who? We did it. Hey, nice. And we're okay. back. So, yeah. First thing I want to say uh, before we get too deep into like more of the plot of this movie is just that I I really liked the production of it. Like the yeah, visuals yeah. are fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> like it's and it's weird because it Dragon Quest even not being a Dragon Quest player I know what Dragon Quest is supposed to look like right because they're they have a very distinct because, style Akira Toriyama of most most notably of Dragon Ball for us here in the West he was been the I, lead, I would argue in Japan as well <laughs> probably uh but like, he's been the lead character designer slump he, yeah he's been the character designer for the entire Dragon Quest series uh and so his aesthetic is very clear and this movie does such a good job of like there's enough there that is reminiscent of Toriyama's style without it feeling like the studio was like forcing the animators to bend over backwards to fit things perfectly into that style yeah and I think that was a really smart way of doing it because there were moments where I was like that's a really like that is an incredibly Toriyama creature design but it doesn't feel like they're just trying to like perfectly mimic a panel out of Dragon Ball or something like that. Okay. And I was I was just really impressed by that. The the only like visual complaints I have is that while some of the the action sequences are really well directed and really well animated, there was a little bit of like floatiness to them that I couldn't put there my is, finger on. There is a little bit of weirdness. I'm not an animation expert, so yeah. I'm not gonna act like one. But yeah, there, and like, there is some stuff that like stands out even as a casual viewer. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking at it more from the point like comparing it in my head to some of my favorite animated fight scenes. There were some things going on mm -hmm. in some of the action sequences that just felt like they were paced a little bit weirdly, but it was never yeah. enough to like really bother me. Uh I just yeah. I wanted to say that because like this studio between this movie and all of the trailers I have seen for the Lupin the Third movie, I'm just like, 
fascinated by them because they seem to be doing a really interesting job at tra- handling 3D anime style things. So yeah, worth shouting out. I'm I'm excited to see where they go from here. So I, I set up a bunch of plot points from the game. Um, and I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to touch upon how they're resolved in the game versus how they're done in the movie. Uh, so the first plot point is uh, when they do escape slavery, uh, Henry, or Harry rather, his name was Henry in the fan translation, uh, Harry kind of just strolls right back up and he's like, hey guys, I'm back. And <laughs> that's kind of it. <laughs> I did it. Um, also, real quick, I have to shout out Zeno Robinson for repping the culture. He did such a good job in the dub. I love, I love Zeno I Robinson. I love Zeno Robinson. So uh, hire more black voice actors. Genuinely. Anyway. <laughs> they're good at it it's almost it's like, like it shouldn't be like 90 percent white dudes it's almost like we also study the craft yeah um anyway yeah i just had to give that shout out so no, he he was that all all of the english performances were very good like yeah. this is this is a good dub cast yeah um and i have to give them even more credit because unlike a lot of anime uh this movie was done with uh, the Japanese voices recorded first, and then, uh, like, the characters were animated to those vocal performances. Oh, that's where, cool. Yeah, typically in anime, the Japanese voice actors also dub over the animation that's already finished, just like how English voice actors do. Yeah. So, with that in mind, it's kind of bullshit that people make fun of English voice actors for not matching lip flaps when Japanese voice actors sometimes slip up as well. Yeah, the, the, the luxury to animate to your vocal performances is one that a lot of films get, but a lot of cartoons do not have that privilege. Like, the production time and the production budget is too tight on television animation. I I don't know about, like, Western cartoons, but, like, in in the case of anime, that is true. Yeah, I... I know it's it's more true of Western cartoons, again, for for television. Like, Mm. animated movies will frequently animate to... The performances they will film and sometimes even fully mocap or performance capture the performances of the voice actors but like you know for something like spongebob that sh- like they're probably getting the voice actors in when the episode is already almost done mm-hmm. anyway that's that's some little uh behind the scenes scuttlebutt yeah 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 so prince harry's there um and there's this whole side arc about Harry helps uh, the protagonist, uh, Luca, out on exploring the cave. And it's in this cave, the very first cave that you are allowed to explore as a child, um, where you find uh, the main character's treasure trove, and he, you, you learn about his quest to like find this Zenithian hero. And that, this is also where you try to equip the sword and realize you are not the hero. But when you go there, you realize that the town has been attacked by Coburg, because after the prince's kidnapping, the Order of Zugzwang took over and betrayed the queen, and, you know, that became a whole shit show. So you return back there, and you take care of stuff, which, all that's pretty much glossed over, so the, the villains really don't have a presence in the movie at this point. Uh, beyond, they kidnapped your mother, also they killed me, I'm writing to this, this to you post- posthumously. Yeah. In the movie, they don't come across the sword until he gets back to some city. I don't remember names. <laughs> oh, we'll talk about that. I think it's, uh, at least in the games, it's Mastro Ferrato. Uh, but I don't remember if that's the name of it in the movie. 
Um, so yeah, there's this whole side arc of like completing that for Harry, and then also, I don't want to just sum up the entire movie <laughs> or the entire game, but there there's this idea like so when Harry becomes king, he doesn't actually become king. He he doesn't think he's a responsible enough adult to become king, so he he kind of rules from the background as a steward for his oh, half-brother. That, that was not ever mentioned in the film. Oh, yeah. No, no. Like, Harry has, like, an entire character arc that, you know, had to be cut out, unfortunately. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I guess that's why I'm still going deep into detail, and I figured I would be doing this until we got to the whole wedding side plot. That's kind of why I wanted to get to the wedding before Which also two, comes but... really early in this movie. Like, I was does? so... I mean, like, maybe not runtime-wise, but, like, and again, this is me as an outsider, but I just, like, everything to do with the whole marriage subplot, uh, to do very briefly sum up, in the movie, you are given a, or you, I say you, Luca is given a quest from the leader of this town to go and, or it's not even, like, really a quest, but he's he's hired on to go and, and beat up this monster that's been terrorizing the town, and the monster has also stolen the legendary sword that he needs to complete his father's quest. Yeah. And his that, reward... That is actually a case of them compressing a lot. I'm which, sure it like, is. is probably the, the most it feels like a actual movie. Yeah, and so then his reward for this, in addition to recovering the sword, is that the, the leader of this town allow, is offers him his daughter's hand in marriage, and his daughter is... Uh... Nera. What? Nera is Nera, her name. thank you. Uh, who you <laughs> mentioned in the plot synopsis, you see in the pixel art at the beginning of the movie montage. Yep. <laughs> uh, and this seems to mean a lot to Luca, and it also seems to mean a lot in a negative way to Bridget? Bianca. Bianca. I'm terrible at... I, full disclosure, I watched this movie, but I did it while I was technically on the clock at work, so I was only able to like half pay attention to important details like this. <laughs> You're good, dude. But it's just like there's there's so much, and like to be fair, the performers do a very good job, and the animators do a very good job of crafting these performances to clearly be important. But there has not been any in movie build up to any of these relationships to the point that it would make sense why Luca is like ready to ask Nira for her hand in marriage, yeah, or why it would meet be such a like betrayal to Bianca. Or why then, like, two scenes later, it the main character is having such a difficult time with this to the point that he, like, doubles back and asks Bianca to marry him instead. And it's just like, mm -hmm. again, I get it. It is, they are making this movie for people who already like Dragon Quest. Yeah, and, so and this I, I, did, I did try to warn you of that because I, I knew, like, oh, yeah, man, and like, I know that Chris is... <laughs> Yeah, I was aware of that going in, and so I don't hold this, like, against the movie in any way. It's just, like, that is one of the points he where it, it was the me. most clearly, like, this is this works if you've played the game and you know these characters, and it very much does not work if you're me. <laughs> right. Right. We'll get to that. Yeah. Trust me. I apologize. I know it's it's been a long time in the making. I hope this episode doesn't run, uh, run for too long. We'll get there. To, to backtrack a little bit, when Harry becomes a the, the steward, he gets married to a woman that you help in a previous quest. I won't go there. And so there's, there's this feeling of isolation. And uh, I, I am just summing up the game. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that's... I, I guess, like, the, the game, like, has this more deliberate pace to it where, like, it kind of has peaks and valleys where, like, 
when you're with traveling companions, there's this feeling of camaraderie and the game is just as eager to take companions away from you and make you travel in solitary, uh, like alone, um, as it is happy to give you traveling companions who you learn and grow with. And so, yeah, let's get to the wedding. So here's a big change, uh, with the wedding. The, uh, the giant monster that you fight is not going to be there until after you have kids. Huh? They so the the interesting thing about this whole section in uh, Mastro Ferrato is that like they they really take a lot of the most iconic moments and jam pack it into like this one episode in a movie that's already kind of taken an episodic format. Yeah, um, which honestly I think is like the best possible compromise they could have done because I also think that this compressed episode is when the movie is at its strongest. But you know that's that's neither here nor there. I guess. And, yeah, I guess I don't really need to talk about the rest of the plot, uh, so... Actually, no, there is one thing you absolutely need to know. So, you eventually go to the town of Mastroferrato in the game, and when you do, you learn that, uh, instead of it being the Zenithian sword, you learn that, uh, the family heirloom that you would be inheriting is the Zenithian shield. And instead of getting the ring, or instead of getting, instead of fighting a monster, what you are there to do is you want to, you are tasked with going to a fire dungeon and a water dungeon to get a ring of fire and ring of water respectively from them. And so when you go to the fire dungeon, or you you meet uh, one of Nera's potential suitors who is on this quest to also try to win her hand in marriage, he's Nera's childhood friend, and he introduces himself as Crispin Burns. And that is still the funniest joke to me in the entirety of this fucking (laughs) franchise. I love Dragon Quest so much. Crispin Burns. Crispin Burns is my favorite Dragon Quest joke. Impossible. (laughs) I was howling when I was... God, I think I played this game when I was 14, 15? That is an example of good localization. (laughs) That's really good localization. Uh, also, for the water dungeon, you cannot actually access the water dungeon until Bianca's in your party. Uh, so that's that's kind of reinforcing the the idea that you you needed her to do this task, much like how in the movie Luca needs Bianca, and together they team up to take down uh, Bjorn. Is the name of the monster. I feel like we can edit this out, but I just wanted to tell you this for your own amusement, Chris. Uh huh. So in in the movie, and you actually you might be able to keep this in, but in the movie, uh, after uh, the hero does his task, uh, he you know he says I I can't go through with the marriage with Nera, and the guy is mad, but he lets him go anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, in the games, Nera and uh, Briscoletti, the the name of the uh, her father, is they both um recognize that Bianca has a thing for him. And she's heartbroken, and they're like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not an asshole. <laughs> uh, so, like, what ends up happening is that, like, Riscoletti's like, alright, dude, I like you, you're a cool guy, I'm gonna pay for the wedding, um, and, you know, we're friends, here, have this private ship, this boat is yours now. And, you know, he pays for the wedding, you get married in the church, but what... You might not know is if you marry his daughter or his other daughter, who's in the DS remake, you have the wedding on his private boat casino. <laughs> oh my god, that's awesome! Because in yeah, the game, you uh, have the in the game, you the player have. Do you have the option to choose? 
Yes, you have the option to choose. Okay, I figure I, I gleaned that from the film. Yes. One of, one of few things you could glean <laughs> from the film. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of this funny thing. And, you know, he's like, yeah, no, it's good because we're friends. And then, like, also in eight years' time, maybe when you become a father or something, I'll need you to take care of this uh, seal that my ancestor placed on this monster called Bjorn the Behemoth. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's where uh, Bjorn comes in. And he's the hardest boss in the game, and he's a bitch, and I hate him. So, in, in Dragon Quest, so, once you get married, that's kind of when the plot to the game kind of slows to a crawl. And that's kind of why I wanted to get to this point before we did the playbill, but I realized that uh, the summary was going on a little long. But, I think structurally, sorry, let me, let me recollect what I'm trying to say. Should I talk about uh, the, the children plot twist? Sure. Should I talk about the plot twist that was omitted from the movie, in which you are actually the king of Gotha? <laughs> Sorry, I beg your pardon? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, as, you, as you and Bianca, because let's be honest, the canon choice is Bianca. It's in the movie, you're probably yeah. <laughs> gonna pick her in the games, because she's the one you have like the most familiarity with. You and Bianca are traveling the world, and you reach the kingdom of Gotha, and uh, your dad's old partner, Sancho's there. And as you talk to the NPCs and Sancho, you learn that, oh, shit, my dad was the king, and he left to, like, rescue my mom. And, oh, shit, another plot twist, my wife is pregnant. Uh, so you do this whole thing where you have to prove that you're the heir of Gondor. Uh, yes, I said that on purpose. And that's its own thing. But, like, <laughs> it's, it's, like, another huge, like... Again, this is kind of why Dragon Quest would be better in, like, a more serialized format. Because, like, we would just have the time for all these plot twists and all these bombs and, like, getting to learn and appreciate these characters. But I guess, like, now's the time to kind of peel back the curtain because none of it really matters because the whole thing was a simulation anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's... And this is a weird, like, this is a weird thing. I see where they were going with it and I kind of appreciate it, but it's also very strange so at yeah. the end, like, the hero su succeeds, the, the ballsack chin wizard is defeated, and, like, they throw the magic sword into the portal to close it, and everyone's like, yay! And then time freezes, and a bunch of pixel blocks descend and form into a man who's like, alright, turn off texture, he's, del he's delete not. assets. It's, you, you know Scooby-Doo and the cyber chase? <laughs> Like that, it's just that straight up. Yeah, it's just it, um, it's a virus that has been inserted into this game because it's a game, and he goes so far as to be like, this "Dragon world Quest is was based released on for the Dragon Super Qu Nintendo yeah. on <laughs> the 1992." And he like throws a cartridge at the main character, <laughs> and they reveal that this whole thing, the main character, has been playing a virtual reality Dragon Simulation. Quest game. Where it's, they have it's like actually Metal Gear Solid too. Yeah, they have repressed his memories to help him more fully live in the simulation. And like the main character's name is Luca because that's what this dude from the real world always named his characters in Dragon Quest. And he beats the virus with the help of an antivirus program developed by one of the slimes, which is actually like Steve uh, Bloom <laughs> malware. Um, he's voiced by Steve Bloom. That's so it funny was Steve to me. Bloom. I couldn't tell exactly what I was like. I like the choice to make this guy like a deep voiced fellow, and I thought it might have been Steve Bloom, but I was just like, no, they wouldn't have gotten Steve Bloom for this. 
And like so, this is this is a weird ending. Yes, it because is incredibly weird. Like there's a part of me that is like, oh well, okay, so this was I don't know fucking source code the whole time, I guess. Like yeah, yeah. But so the, I guess like oh sorry, continue. But like the the point that the movie is making and the point that it it to to be perfectly frank, kind of states pretty bluntly at the end here. It's not a it's yeah. not a subtle film. Um but like the the main character's whole thesis statement at the end is like, yeah, this might be a fake world, but the hours I spent playing these games all through my childhood were real and these characters like what they mean to me is real. And given yeah. that this movie is so clearly and so definitively for Dragon Quest fans, this yes. movie is a nostalgia property. This, like, this movie is not, like, I, 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 as I texted Chris, uh, like, last night, I was like, this movie is not good. No, but it's... This, this it's movie not, is fun. Yeah. It's and charming. It, I as think, a Dragon Quest fan, I really had a fun time. And it's like, it's this... I'm of two minds about this twist, because on the one hand, it is saying, this, we are, we are aware of what this movie has been. And we are okay with that because we are making this for people who are this guy in the bubble. Yeah. In our movie. And on the one hand, I respect that. Like, I, I am perfectly happy to experience a piece of media and go, huh, that really wasn't for me. Yeah. And I think that, like, there's nothing wrong with that. This movie was very much not for me, person who, start, who has played maybe 10 hours of Dragon Quest XI. I I would also say that, you know, if uh, this movie's reception, even in Japan, was anything to go by, it was also not for Dragon Quest fans. Oh, really? It didn't do very uh, well? I I think it did, like, well enough, but, like, the issue was, like, no one liked that plot twist, and I can understand why it comes way too late in the movie for it to really register with the audience, or yeah. to be fully explored in the plot. Yeah. Um, it's very, it's, like, literally the last five it's or ten, ten minutes. minutes i like i i think i timed it i was like oh 15 minutes from the end we in it <laughs> so and i guess here's the thing i knew about the plot twist ahead of time mm -hmm. um it got spoiled for me i don't remember how or where but i heard about that and i'm like uh that sounds like that that doesn't sound great it sounds like it could be done it, it could be good if done well but yeah um it's not <laughs> but i guess like the reason why i proposed this episode to chris and the reason why I kind of dragged you guys along for a summary of, like, two-thirds of Dragon Quest V is because I kind of wanted to examine, you know, if this movie knows that it, like, as it is written, it won't quite work as a cinematic viewing experience, but it also... It's a movie that knows exactly what it wants to be, but also is aware that, like, what it wants to be is something that not no one really wants. Yeah. And I guess like that that's fascinating to me. And I, I guess I I wanted to tackle that and I that that's kind of why I broke down how Dragon Quest V tells its story in very tedious detail. Because I think the the entire core crux of this movie is the scene where Luca, as an adult, travels back in time and it's revealed that he is the stranger who the kid showed the orb to. Which is, to be fair, a cool and well-handled twitch. Like, I, 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 or twitch? What am I saying? Uh, <laughs> twist. I really did like that. Yeah, um, and so I, I've been kind of building up to this uh, the entire episode because when you get to that point in 
Dragon Quest V the game, it's actually a very simple moment. You are playing a silent protagonist, talking to the child version of you, um, who is not a silent protagonist, uh, just to kind of illustrate, like, what was I saying when I played this segment at the beginning of the game? That's really it. It's kind of just this thing of like, oh, you want to see the ball? Here you go. Um, the, the core crux of that moment emotionally in the game is that you then talk to your father and you try to convince him to stop his journey because you know where it's going to end. And he says, no, I have to do this. Fuck off. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of thinking about like, it's thinking about like, could I change the past? And even if I did, would I really want to if it's led to the man I am today? Uh, and that in its own right is like very interesting and good. And it, I think it illustrates the strengths of the writing of the games. Uh, but in the movie, it's less about that. In fact, he, he doesn't even think to go and talk to Pankrats. It's a conversation between him and himself as a child. And in talking with himself as a child and like hearing the things that this child naively says, Luca admires that. And I think there's, there's something about like this emotional crux of like being in touch with your inner child that like, that's the strongest point that the film has. And I think like when you watch the movie with the plot twist in mind, that becomes a lot more apparent that like all of the, because the rest of the movie is just fluff. Uh, the rest of the movie is like, here's the best of Dragon Quest V. It's, you know, um, it's not told as cleanly or neatly as it is in the story of the game. But because you've already played the game, you know, now you can appreciate, here's Bianca getting drunk because she's, you know, she's sad that you're getting married. And like, that's its own amusing scene that never happens in the games. Yeah. Or like, here's, here's a scene of, um, here's Nera, like, disguising herself as an old hag to... Uh, show to to basically tell Luca the the player playing as Luca that it's all right to just kind of follow your heart and do what you want to or do what you did as a kid because that's there's there's like interesting stuff there it's just not explored very well yeah and <laughs> until I, th- a I think that viewing. I think that again it it is this is a movie that would have been much better served being like a limited run series. Yeah. That would have given them more time to flesh out, like, to to embrace the episodic nature of the source material and to allow those episodes to have the weight that they deserve. And it would also have given them more time to play with these themes that they were interested in without it being crammed into the final 15 minutes. Yeah, exactly. I think if this came at the, if not the halfway mark, then, you know, the, the two-thirds mark. No, it really should have come at the, the halfway mark. Yeah. Um, I would have liked, you know, it could have worked uh, with 30 minutes of the movie left, but definitely not 15. Yeah. But I, I don't know. I guess, like, I, I don't, like, I'm trying to not repeat myself, uh, but I, I think there's just, there's something interesting to me about, like, the message the movie has, and I guess, like, I just, I wonder how it could have tackled it better. Um, yeah. Because, like... You know, there's the meta commentary of everything in this movie is just fluff, and then ten minutes before the credits start, the villain comes in, who is a completely alien factor to the story of Dragon Quest V, and says, everything in this movie was just fluff. Grow up, you stupid child. And, I don't know. Yeah. It, it's, it's like, it's this conflict of, like, I like the message, and I think, like, 
watching the movie with the plot twist at the end in mind, there's something very interesting about that. Speaking to a generation of people who grew up playing this game yeah. and are now watching a movie that's honestly not very good, but like, you know, it, it's something heartwarming. There's something comforting about it because it's something familiar. And it's and like also like being blatant about like, yeah, this is comforting and familiar, but it's also there's better things you could be doing with your time. Yeah. And like I said, it's not for all of the flaws in this movie, like as far as the pace and the narrative and like how effectively it tells its story, the production value and the performances and all of that are really good. And so it's there's something to like showing the source, even if it didn't give the source material's story the room it mm -hmm. needed, it shows so much love to those games in how lovingly animated and acted it is. Yeah, yeah. and then I guess like on top of that, um, I, I tweeted about this uh, yesterday, but I think there's, it's interesting how much the game, or how much the movie, the lengths it goes to like point out the own gaminess of its story. Because in addition to it being episodic, and especially when compressed into two hours, like very breakneck paced, um, there's also moments where, like, that score is definitely not a movie score. <laughs> yeah. Like, it is, it is deliberately, it is entirely a video game score slapped over a movie. Yeah. Um, and there's moments where, like, they'll play, like, the little jingles when someone joins the party. There are moments where, like, uh, Luca's reading a sign and then, like, it shows up as, like, a text box from a Super Nintendo game. And, like... It does so many things to point out, like, this is for you, but also, like, this isn't something we should do in a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, when, when he takes the potion that uh, Nera gives him to basically, like, travel into his subconscious, that's kind of the first time we see them, like, peel back the, the game and, like, the, the game looks, like, really pixelated and blocky. And, like, that's really your only hint that you get that, like, it's all fake. Um, yeah. is like the music and the visuals and that one scene and again like watching it with that plot twist in mind like that's actually really kind of fascinating yeah but i also you know i i shouldn't have to know how it it's going to end to appreciate it yeah <laughs> so i guess like before i start rambling um i guess we can we can wrap up with final thoughts i th i think we both have made it clear that we don't think this movie is particularly good no, like, my, my final um, thoughts are, there's not really anything that I haven't already said, but I think, it's, I think it's a really interesting movie. I think that it is superbly made. I just wish that it had, or I guess, I don't, I'm not even going to say that. I, I, I think that I would be interested in seeing a version of this done as more of a, an episodic. adventure. Yeah, take, take it more into the vein of, like, give me a limited run episodic series. Yeah. And I appreciate that part of that is just that the way that this movie is, it was never going to be for me because I am yeah. not the target audience at all. It it was never. Yeah, I really enjoy this movie. I, I know I can't speak for you, obviously, because like, you know, I don't think like this. This has so much to do with like my own personal enjoyment of Dragon Quest V. Yeah, that I've owned since 2008. The fight scenes as they were going like, wow, this is how I always imagined the fight scenes to be going from, because in-game they're very, like, static, first-person perspective presentation. There's not a whole lot of animation to the fights of Dragon Quest, so it's all in your head. 
and to actually kind of see animators put time to doing that was really cool. There were moments where, like, because I'm watching it on Netflix and not in the theater, I just sung, sang along to a lot of the songs that were being played. <laughs> that's cute. Um, yeah, it's it's like, and I know that's not a good movie, but I still had a ton of fun watching this movie. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong... Even with the dumb plot twist. <laughs> yeah, and there's nothing wrong with finding something in there that you were able to enjoy. So, I guess... Yeah. I, we should I, probably... Oh, I just remember one last thing. I, not, <laughs> not a huge thing. No, no, it's something that Coop mentioned to me. And mm. this will kind of be the closing thing. Um, when I tweeted about this movie, uh, Coop basically said, like, yeah, this felt less like an adaptation of Dragon Quest V and more of a movie about how it feels to play Dragon Quest. Interesting. And I kind of agree with that. That's like, a cool, that's a cool uh, breakdown. Yeah, because, like, I, I was kind of in agreement with him. He kind of put words to what my thoughts were as I was watching the film. So I, I detailed the story, but, like, you know, there's, the, there's these scenes where, like, Luca is, like, very nervous about everything, and, like, he's, he gains more confidence as he goes along. There's a montage where he's going treasure hunting and, like, fighting monsters and getting stronger. And as there, there's this idea of, like, the investment in the characters. And through that lens, it's pretty good. And I think I, I, think I just wanted to mention that. Uh, yeah. So I'm sorry that I cut you off. But, like, no, I realized, like, if I didn't give a shout-out to co-host of Dude, You Remember Macross Coop uh-huh. uh, <laughs> uh, and his thoughts, uh, I wouldn't be doing the episode justice. Yeah. So I, I hope you all enjoyed this. This was... Uh... I don't know, this, this, it's a weird movie, but yeah. I'm, I'm still thinking about it, so I guess in a way, it has that going for it. Um, yeah. Um, sorry for dragging you on this wild ride, Chris. <laughs> uh, I, I knew going in, like, I don't think you're going to enjoy this movie, but I still want to talk about it, so yeah, I, I'm going to make you watch it. I definitely had fun. There was enough in it that I was able to enjoy, even if I left it going, huh, <laughs> but I imagine that is a, a sentiment shared by many of our audience members after this episode. So to you, I salute you. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of Backstage Gaming. We hope you had fun. And uh, we'll be back next week probably to talk about a uh, a slightly more Conventional. present in the zeitgeist <laughs> movie. Uh, and we'll see what we think about that. Until then, thank you again for listening. If you like our show... Remember that wherever you find us, whether that's iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or the Google Play Store or wherever you choose to get us, leave a rating, leave a review, tell your friends about us, tell your family, tell a movie producer so that they can try to condense all, like, 70 hours of this show that exists into one film. And as always, if you want to find us directly, you can find us on our website, bsgpod.com, where you can find a contact form if you want to get in touch with us and also just some info about us and what we've got going on. Uh, if you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Facebook, on Twitter. Our handle is at BSG underscore cast. And you can also find us on YouTube. You know, if you want to talk about uh, the episode, about the show, you can use the hashtag BSGpod. Also, huge, huge thanks to our friend Brendan French for the key art he has provided our show. Uh, if you like his stuff, you can find him on his Squarespace at brennan-french.squarespace.com. That is B-R-E-N-N-E-N hyphenfrench.squarespace.com. You can also find him on Instagram.com slash BrennanFrenchArts. You should also go show some love to our friend BioQuery. He is the musician behind our theme song, Dot Sound Radio Volume 1 Instrumentality. He's also an electronica producer and composer in his own right with a bunch of other really cool music out there that you can listen to. 
If you want to find any of that, you can find it by going to soundcloud.com slash bioquery, that's soundcloud.com slash b-i-o-q-u-e-r-y, or by searching for bioquery on Spotify. Also want to shout out, he is in a band with uh, several other friends of mine from school, a band called Runner, that's R-U-N-N-N-E-R, and they just dropped a uh, a new single the other day that he does some synth work on that's really fucking cool. So go no, check that's that dope. out. I don't think I heard about that. Oh, it's it's real good, dude. Um, okay, okay. One more thank you, as always, to our patrons at patreon.com slash bsgpod. You all kick ass, and if you want to become a patron as well, consider checking it out. Patreon.com slash bsgpod. Help us keep the website on and help us, you know, do it more and do it better. And one final thank you to the good people over at the HP Video Game Podcast Network for having us on the network and for letting us share the space with all these other great podcasts about video games. If you like our show, go check some of them out. You can find them all being retweeted at Network on Twitter. Who? This is a big one, my, bu- <laughs> my boy. It's a yeah. big boy. Oh, wait. Let me take a look. Let me take a look. Uh, yeah. It's okay. I'll get it. I'll get it trimmed down. It'll be nice and sleek and sexy. Mm. And until next week, bye bye everybody. We gotta bye go bye. fast. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold.